Hello, and welcome to the human side of healing. My name is Nate Verhagen, and I'm a medical student at the Medical College of Wisconsin and the host of this podcast, which provides a bridge to a more connected learning community where we share and celebrate the personal narratives of those embarking on a journey through medicine. This podcast is separate from my work as a medical student and is not associated with the Medical College of Wisconsin. In every episode, we invite a member of our learning community to share their story. It's a platform not just about medical pursuits, but about the individuals behind them, their challenges, passions, and the unique paths they follow. Our aim is to foster a sense of togetherness, understanding, and support among those who are collectively dedicated to caring for others. Whether you're a fellow student, a faculty member, or just intrigued by the personal dimensions of the medical field, join us in uncovering the stories that often go untold behind the scrubs. Hello everyone. Today is January 20th, 2024, and we have with us today Jeffrey Rodriguez, who is a second year medical student at the Medical College of Wisconsin. When I think of Jeffrey, um, I think of him as the David Goggins of medicine. And I mean that with the highest praise possible. Um, He's one of the most interesting people I've met through my time in medical school. Uh, We met last year through mutual friends at lunch. Um, Immediately, I could tell he was cut from a different cloth. And kind of when I started this podcast, he was one of the names, one of the first names in my mind who I wanted to interview. So in addition to being a second year medical student, he's on a full medical school scholarship as part of the U.S. Army Health Professions Program, which is also known as HPSP. Um, he's won a ton of awards. Uh, when I was going through his CV, there were too many awards to account or to count. It's truly, really impressive what he's accomplished um, in such a short time. He graduated basic training at the top of his class out of 250 graduates. Um, he's an extremely accomplished researcher, conducting extensive research both in basic science and clinical research. Um, and he's also one of the more humble people you will meet. And I say that, and I want to preface this podcast with that. So when Jeffrey, I want to give him the freedom to talk about himself because um, I find him incredibly interesting. uh, And I think a lot of people can learn a lot about how he's lived his life and um, how he goes about every day. So, um, so many activities outside of medicine too. And I think we're going to cover a lot of that during the talk. So without further ado, Jeffrey Rodriguez, tell us about yourself, man. Yeah, so first of all, Nate, um, it's an honor that you uh, consider me to be one of those people in your, in your, in your mind that you wanted to have on this podcast because um, often we don't think about the stuff that we did and the impact that we make on people and, and the small interactions that we've had with each other. Although be it short, I didn't realize I've made such an impact on how you view um, life and how you view me. So um, honor and truly appreciate you for having me. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's true. That's yeah. true. We haven't, we haven't interacted a ton, right. but every interaction I think has been super valuable. Yeah. Super optimistic, positive, and it's just always walk away with a smile. So awesome. Yeah. Well, I guess one of the things we I mean, I want people to just get a background on you. I know a little bit, but like, um, where you grew up, impactful things in your childhood that made you who you were. And then we can kind of go from there. Yeah. Um, so I'm Jeffrey. Grew up in Los Angeles. Um, son of immigrant parents. My parents immigrated over here from the Philippines back in the 80s. Um, 
like many immigrant families, you know, life can be tough, especially growing up in a city like Los Angeles where um, cost of living is pretty high. So a lot of my early childhood, we spent a lot of our time struggling with money and um, coming from parents who just graduated high school and didn't really have a lot of formal education. Um, of course, we could, they kind of resorted to jobs that they could just kind of find. And so um, that kind of shaped the early years of my childhood of just like, oh, like, you know, days where we're worrying about what are we going to eat today or things like that. And to the credit of my parents, I think they did the best with what they could do. Um, but yeah, that kind of was my early formative years, um, kind of this crucible that was created for me that has kind of made my life after the fact much easier. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome. Cause I think, um, a lot of times hard, hard experiences shape us to be exceptional. I mean, that's not always the case. I think you can, there's moments in those times where you can choose to go one way or another. Um, it's very clear. I think you, you go about things really well. So, um, I guess, you know, what, I guess if, what were some moments you think that were pivotal in your development during those times? Can you point to certain things that you think, um, were kind of critical in your development? Yeah, I would say I, I preface it with, you know, growing up was quite a struggle financially because I think a lot of my early childhood, I was already thinking about how would I be able to create a life for myself, not only for myself, for my future family where they don't have to experience a similar struggle that I've experienced as a child. Um, so when I graduated high school, um, which was back in 2011, shows you as my age, um, <laughs> I immediately actually moved out of my family's home. And when I say moved out, I kind of just was moved out, grabbed, like packed my car with stuff. And I just kind of hopped around like friends places for a little bit. And part of the reason why I did that was, um, I really wanted to show and help my parents out because I was like, hey, like for up until I was 17 years old, you guys have been taking care of me. Well, look, now I'm done with high school. Now it's my turn to like kind of pay back. And mm -hmm. it's so funny to look back because I was like, where did I get that strength from? Where did I get this courage from to think that, yeah, I'm just everything's going to be OK. Right. And so when I moved out, of course, you have to survive. And so you really learn a lot about yourself. And um, immediately I went to work. So I started working some retail jobs. I actually started and I worked at Vans as my first job, sold shoes. And um, uh, also worked at this other place called Sunglass Set. So I sold sunglasses. So I had these two jobs that I was kind of going back and forth with. And that kind of set the foundation as to, okay, like now I understand how difficult it is to work, right? Like my parents have been, struggling all my life to kind of just put food on the table. And now I actually understand the value of a dollar, right? But that interaction of starting to work started to make me think it's like, dude, like this is unsustainable. Like I am barely living. I am barely living. I'm working 40 plus hours a week because I had two jobs. And and I'm like, dude, like I, I'm making $7 an hour. Like what, what am I going to do with this? And how am I going to build something out of this? Um, and at this time, at this point in my life, I had no plans of going to college, right? My role models up until this point were my parents and they didn't go to college. Mm -hmm. I did have an older brother who was eight years older than me um, and he had graduated college. But at that time, 
he had just graduated right around the recession. And so he was left with a four-year bachelor's degree with $50,000 of debt with no job, right? And so I was like, why would I put myself in that amount of debt? Yeah. And then go back to school. And for what reason? When I'm going to end up with no job also. Um, so when I was working at these jobs, I met this guy at my work, at my job. His name was Nate. Funny wow. enough, I literally was speaking to him like not too long ago. Somebody I still had to stay in contact with. Yeah. And Nate was somebody who had worked part-time at the job that I was working with. And he was like, hey, like, you know, because you make so low income, like, do you know you could qualify in California for this thing called a Pell Grant? And so what the Pell Grant is, is essentially at any community college, if you made below like a certain income level, you essentially go to community college for free. And then they would pay you a certain amount to go to school. Wow. And I was like... <clears throat> all right, well, shoot, I'm struggling right now. So let me sign up for some classes. So I kid you not, like over that summer of graduating high school to now then starting community college, I was working these two jobs. And that's when I learned about the community college Pell Grant thing. Signed up for my first classes. Granted, I learned about this scholarship like a week before that the the classes were actually going to start. So of course, like everything had been filled up. So my first four college classes were like, music appreciation, um, like art history. Like I picked like the easiest possible classes that I was like, okay, what's the bare minimum that I can do so that I can meet this um, scholarship stipend thing and so that I can somehow go to school and then make money. And that is literally the start of like why I ended up in in college and in community college actually. So yeah, Um, from there, uh, I just continue to do that. I'd continue to do that for two years. And, um, I think at some point I realized like, Hey, like I'm going to school. I should probably set for a goal. Mm-hmm. I should probably shoot for something. Mm-hmm. Right. And at that time, the program that I was going through at college of the Canyons, which is in Valencia, California, that's where I ended up going to, to junior college at, they had this nursing program that they were starting. So they had this RN program that they were starting. And I was like, Hey, like if you can meet a certain GPA, you can meet a certain amount of um, credits and if you can meet and, and if you can get a good letter of recs then you would get this acceptance into this rn program so now i have this tangible goal where i was like okay like let me let me try to gun for this thing wow. right and so that was like shaped from okay like i need to do something with my life and around that time so i don't know if you know this name i'm filipino and um in California, there's actually a lot more Filipinos. I think they have the most Filipinos out of the, the entire United States concentrated in California. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a stereotype for Filipinos that you just go into healthcare, you become an RN, and then you make a decent living, and then you're able to, like, that's the American dream. I was not aware of that. Yeah. So it's like, for any of like my, my Filipino family members and if you ever meet other Filipinos, I guarantee you there's somebody in their family that's either a registered nurse or some type of medical field thing. Because we're so pragmatic where it's like we're a very caring type of uh, people. But then we're also like, oh, well, like we'll always need nurses and there will always be a job for nurses. Right. So that's the preface of like why I kind of chose this pathway of like, oh, maybe I'll like gun towards this registered nurse program. Yeah. Um, Got to the point where I was applying to the RN program and then I'd realized um, I was kind of burnt out. So I was working these two jobs up until this entire point. I was going to school full time. 
up until this entire point. And when I mean full time, it's 12 to 15 credits, community college classes, your basic Englishes, your sciences and all that stuff. But I reached a point where I was like, okay, if I do this RN program, how am I going to sustain this? Because the RN program now is like a full-time thing. Like you got to be there doing school. You got your clinicals and stuff like that. And I'm not going to be making any money around this time. Mm -hmm. And so up until this point, I was kind of supporting myself. And I had known that if I had to go to this RN program, then I'd have to pull out some loans. Mm -hmm. Right. And again, to preface my brother who had watched go through college had still not had a job at this time. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to pull out any loans and I don't want to pull out any loans mm -hmm. just by chance. Um, where I worked at in the mall, right under me at the vans, uh, there was a recruiting station. And so these army recruiters, man, I, I tell you, <laughs> they are incredibly, yes, I can say they're predatory at times. Right. But they probably saw me and was like, look at this kid, man, like 18 years old fit relatively of age can probably join the military. And I, when I tell you, Nate, like for the past two years that I'd worked at that mall, they would stop by my place every single day to the point where my management team had to go speak to them. And it's like, Hey, like you cannot talk to him anymore while he's working. Right. <laughs> so they're really good, man. Cause like they had built this trust with me. Where I was like, Oh, like I would see them all the time. Like, Hey, what's up? Sorry, I'm bored. But, and like, we we're on a first name basis kind of thing. And at that point, I remember I was like, you know what? Like, I don't want to pull out loans, but maybe I'll consider his military thing, right? Mm. Long story short, a few months later, instead of joining the RN program, I ended up enlisting in the military. Yeah. Wow. And um, yeah, so that's kind of my entry point into the military. Mm -hmm. um, I think when a lot of people ask, like, why'd you join? I, I think... I'd like to sound virtuous and tell them, hey, like, you know, I really want to serve my country and mm -hmm. um, I really want to just um, serve, the, serve the country proudly and then make something better on myself. But truthfully, it was a financial decision. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, did you want to like go on from there? I mean, I can. No, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, no, that, that was that was great. And we can we can stop there and kind of I want to ask you a couple of questions also. Just to set the scene, I'm looking at Jeffrey's wearing an LA hat with, I think, an army, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, army <laughs> in the United States uh, pin on the hat. So um, he's rocking, rocking everything right now. Um, no, that's, I mean, I, that's obviously a hard time for you, but like such a unique path. And like, I'm sure you, I don't know if you ever look back at it and you're like, man, I could have turned one way or another and I wouldn't like end up here. But like, you were destined for this. I mean, like, and now you're here. I guess one of the questions I have is like, when you were going through this time, were there any things that like pulled you certain directions? You know, like you said with the R, the RN program, you were a little bit burnt out at the time. What like at what point did, with the army recruiter were you finally like, all right, like let's let's do it? I think, uh, just I've always had this knack for wanting to be something different, and I didn't. For some odd reason, I didn't want to follow in that stereotype of like all my Filipino friends and cousins and siblings that were falling within this RN track because I felt like it was just uh, a safety net. Mm. And so I was always thinking, I was like, I want to do something that is bigger than me. And maybe at that point, 
I was like, hey, like this is an opportunity to change my life with the military because mm -hmm. not only will I be able to go to school under this scholarship and be financially free and mm -hmm. debt free, but one, I'll get to work with one of the longest standing organizations and the professionalism that I'll get out of that, the leadership abilities, the teamwork, the communication skills, the mm -hmm. things that I would be able to use if I were to get out of the military, I knew as an 18 year old at that time, I was like, these are the things that the military can offer me that no other organization right now will give me right now. Wow. Right. It's, I, and I'd love to follow it up. Cause like, that's something I'm so curious about because I, like I said, I talked, I talked um, earlier, I said you were cut from a different cloth and I mean that. Um, and I hope people can like sense that over just, just by hearing you, but like, were you always, you mentioned communication skills and leadership and kind of, um, just self-awareness, I think, did, did you always possess those? Do you think the military helped you? And then secondly, I talked about you being like, like graduating basic training kind of top of your class. Like, what did you do to, to excel like that? Were there things, did you already know that you were going to excel? Were you surprised? Like, how did that go? Yeah, these are great questions. I mean, for one, no, I was not very introspective up until high school. Why I became very introspective was because when I was going through this crucible of life and I was living alone from these 17, 18, 19 years old, I was working these two jobs and I was going to school full time. I had a lot of alone time. I lived alone. And so that's when I became very introspective because I was thinking to myself each and every day when I'm burnt out, I'm like, is this going to pay off one day? Or am I just kind of just doing this for nothing, right? And one of the things that really helped me out was when I was working at these jobs, there was a lot of people that were a lot older than me, 30s, 40s, 50s. And I would look at their lives and I'd be like, is that what I want to end up being? Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with that, mm -hmm. right? For whatever reason, they've ended up and for whatever reason, their life has brought them to the point where they're still working with me. Mm -hmm. But I knew very early on, um, I guess to your point, I was just very observant mm -hmm. and I would try to learn from other people. Mm -hmm. And when I mean learn from people, I would look at other people and see, is that something I want for myself? And if I'd analyze them and it'd say no, then yeah, just be like, no, I got to do something about that. Mm -hmm. And so in the military, are you, um, to, ba to, to back up to your question, mm -hmm. why did I think I was going to be successful in the military? Absolutely not. Right. No, I'm the first veteran in my family. There's not another single person in my family that's joined the U.S. military, except my cousin has now recently married uh, recently married a Navy um, Navy personnel. So that's like my only resemblance of being in the military in my family. But no, I'm the very per first person. So I did not have role models coming into this thinking I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna do really well. Like. <laughs> Even up until this point, like I really wasn't physically fit. I was just like, I don't know, like, here we go. Like, so let's, let's just roll the dice. And so, um, yeah, but again, like one of the things maybe that made me successful in the military was, was that introspection. And so when I first showed up to basic training, I saw what it took to be successful. And all I did was I looked at my leaders, I looked around me, I looked at the high performers and I was like, let me just emulate them. Wow. And whatever that is, whatever they're doing, I'm gonna do that. And so what did that mean? Well, physical fitness, right? Baseline physical fitness. I'm like, okay, 
did our first PT test, showed up to basic training. And in two minutes, I did like 30 pushups, <laughs> did my two mile run in like 18 minutes, did like, like 50 sit-ups. And like, that's absolutely atrocious for yeah. like the military standards. Yeah. And I was like, just watch, right? Just watch. Well, right? knowing, knowing the Jeffrey I know now, I mean, that's, yeah. That's... Yeah. And, and so like at, at, at that age, I was like, oh, okay. Like I would look around and after that first PT test, I was like, who are they putting in these leadership positions? Well, it's all the guys who freaking did well on their PT like test, mm -hmm. right? I'm like, oh, they're putting that guy as a squad leader. You're putting that guy as a platoon sergeant. I'm like, oh, these are all the guys who did really well on the PT test. And I, and I, and I say females as well, because there's outstanding female athletes that I was, uh, I was with in basic training. That's awesome. And so I was just like, okay, well, that means I got to get my PT up. And so something that I would do is like, I would literally, we would not lights would go out and I would start doing push-ups and sit-ups. So like flights were out at 10 for an hour. I would tell myself, Hey, you're going to, in this hour, every single night, I, this is something I actually did every single night. I'd be like, I'm going to get 200 push-ups in 200 sit-ups in and 200 squats in. And, wow. if I, and if I can do that after the accumulation of 12 weeks, then I could probably get my numbers up. And I attribute a lot of the reason of why I ended up getting like that honor graduate thing was because they had seen that progress in such a short amount of time. Yeah. But what we don't realize is like a short amount of time is enough for you to make plenty of progress, right? 12 weeks. Yeah. It's 12 weeks. And it's like, dude, this, this is a lot of time where I can make some, some, some progress. And so that's simply what I did. Yeah. How, and what, you know, just to, for perspective, how how did you, how far along did you start versus where you finished? So uh, like I mentioned, were you, were there 250 people in your class? How many people were in your class? And then yeah, I, I think, I think there was about 250, um, in, in the entire class. And then you, in terms of, are you talking about attrition or well, where you started? Cause you know, you mentioned like you, you started out first week PT didn't do so hot sure. and then you finished at a certain place, you know, what was the difference of those? Yeah. So I don't know my ranking initially. Um, but what I do know is at the end, uh, we were voted by our drill sergeants. Okay. Um, and I was voted as for whatever freaking reason. <laughs> I was like, whatever freaking reason. Yeah. So I can name a couple of reasons, but that's, that's really cool. And I, I think one thing I just want to reflect back on too, is like, it sounds like you kind of before the military, you had your parents as mentors, you had, sure. you had your older brother. Sure. Um, but kind of when you went off by yourself, it was a lot of, not necessarily mentors, but you kind of asked yourself, you know, you were learning from others, but not in like a mentorship leadership way, rather than um, this is something that's maybe going on. I'm not going to do that. It was almost like a, and you were learning from what not to do. Yeah. Um, not to say that people were living their own lives and, and that's totally, totally fine. But you were learning, you didn't have a mentor. It was more like, I don't want to do that. And then you joined the military and they're like, these are my mentors. Like, these are the people I want to strive for. I mean, that's, that's cool because it sounds like that was a shift in your own, own mentorship slash goals. Cause like you need a goal to strive for. And I think that's kind of what you were talking about when you were um, working those jobs. You're like, man, I kind of going through the motions. Where am I going? Sure. Like what, what's next? And like, that's yeah. cool to see. Yeah, I'm fair. always curious how like people, when people hop into the military, why like, do they change so much? Cause my, my dad was a veteran in the army too. And like, I, I learned some of those things from him, but then I see it in other people. I'm like, man, like, what do you guys do? And how, how did you become that? And so it's cool to hear you're like, there are some people who I 
looked up to. I wanted to emulate and like that's kind of the Yeah, well the and, and the thing is like the military life is actually very easy. And and I tell you this because the standards are so clear cut. It's one of the few organizations that's purely based on merit. And so if you can meet a certain standard, great, you met the standard. But if you can exceed that standard, you know exactly what the standards are. You, you, if you can exceed the push-up standard, the, the sit-up standard, but then if you can exceed the run standard, okay, well, great, you have your base physical fitness down. Now there's other things that you can do. Can, can you shoot well? Okay, well, great, you can shoot well now. And like the, the standards are so clear cut and promotions generally are, are awarded based off your performance. And so if you can continue to work on these little things that you're terrible at, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, like I'm getting better. And then that same type of mindset can apply to so many different other things in life because you're like, you know what? I'm starting a new world right now and I'm getting like two out of 10 questions. <laughs> Guess what? Like next week, I'm going to go for three out of 10, yeah. four out of 10, five out of 10. You just keep doing that. And then you keep applying that same mindset to other aspects of your life. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you, you create this, this person that is so far from what you started from. Mm -hmm. And now... Not everybody does that in the military, like med school, like anywhere in life, mm -hmm. there's a bell curve in the military and it's really up to you as the individual to use the tools that you're being given to actually want to use them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I think this kind of a similar thing applies to sports. I always thought where people develop that work ethic in sports Yeah. and then, but not everyone is able to transition it outside of sports into academics. And like what you're saying is you develop skills in the military and then in civilian life, you were, you found a way to apply them to have a lot of success, right? Yeah, and, and I, I've always taken the underdog mentality, yeah. right? Because- Always know, being chased. Yeah, and, and I always, and I love that mentality. Like whatever I go into, I, I always just tell myself, you're the underdog and mm -hmm. no, everyone's counting you out. And mm -hmm. so if you can go in that with, with that mentality, then there's no losing because you're already expected to lose. Mm -hmm. So- mm -hmm. um, It's probably pretty freeing. It, it is very freeing <clears throat> because the expectations for you are nothing, mm -hmm. right? But then you prove them wrong and then you prove them wrong again and again and again. And it's just like, oh, wow. Like I was never expecting that out of that person. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, so we, I'd, I'd love to learn more about your time in the military, but sure. then also kind of want to hear how you ended up in medical school. Yeah. Um, just to, so we have a full, a full timeline of the person accident. you are. And yeah. then we'll go into like, I also want to talk about activities that you do outside because I think you do a lot of them yeah, to yeah. a really cool level. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, like tell me, tell me about your time in the military and what got you into med school. Yeah. So my time in the military, um, so the way it worked back then, I don't know if it's still the same, you would take this ASVAB, which is essentially like the SAT for the military, took that and um, scored enough where I could essentially get any job. And I was like, okay, cool. I knew at that point I, I wanted to go to nursing school, right? And so at that time I was like, hey, like show me what medical jobs are available. And I remember the options that they gave me when I was with the uh, recruiter was, you can be a, um, a nutritionist, um, you could be a preventative health specialist, or you could do this like medical laboratory technician thing. And I remember looking at the things I was like, one was like 18 weeks, one was like maybe like 20 weeks. And then like this medical laboratory technician thing was like 52 weeks. And I was oh. like, I was like, why is that thing so damn long? Right. So I started doing a little bit more research and I was like, oh, like, by the way, when you graduate from this 52-week training, you graduate with an associate's degree 
that because of the college course credits and the clinical skills that you've gained, you've earned enough for an associate's degree. And I was like, well, that meets the goal of why I initially joined the military in the first place. I'm like, well, I was trying to get some college in anyways paid for. So I was like, look, if I'm going to join the military, I might as well get something out of it. And that was kind of my idea. And so I enlisted and I was like, I didn't even know what the heck a medical laboratory technologist was. I was like, cool. Like, I get an associate's degree. That's that's what I was telling my friends. I was like, yeah, like I, I get this associate's degree, you know, like it's gonna be so cool. Um, and boy, was I in for a surprise because what I did in the military as an MLT or a medical lab technician, um, essentially, Nate, you're in your M3 year now, right? Mm-hmm. You're going and you're like, see your patient and you're like, okay, like I think it, the patient has this, this and this. So what do you do? Order some tests. Order some tests, order some labs, you send the labs down. That was my role. I was the guy trained in the back of the laboratory to do your CBC, to do your analysis, to plate your micro screens, to do your cultures. And so that was my very early on exposure to like the medical field because I was like, oh, like, you know, I'm learning like the very basic, basic science of like the human body, right? Because all of a sudden I'm learning about a red blood cell and a white blood cell. And a schistive side <laughs> and uh, uh you know and and so like all these random things and i was like oh i actually kind of like this a schistive site i yeah. love that yeah it's, yeah it's just like and um during the time of my ait um there was kind of a ranking system again mm-hmm. again the military is really good at placing a ranking on you and so the performance is so clear cut and dry and so what i found out about myself was like when you give me a task and you tell me there's a top ranking, or guess what I'm gonna gun for? I'm gonna yeah, yeah. I'm gonna gun for that top ranking. So I was I had all this momentum that had gone from basic training. I was like, dude, like, let's continue this, let's yeah. keep going. And um I will be honest, like I did not know how to study prior to this. When I said I did two years of community college, I learned how to study through this MLT program. Because while you get a two-year associate's degree, that two years is squeezed into six months. Right. And so that pace that we're used to as medical students now was the pace that we were doing it at. So we learned blood bank in two weeks. Right. And then we learned hematology in like three weeks, which is things we're used to now. Mm-hmm. But it was not something I was used to as a fresh 18, 19 year old. Yeah. Right. And so granted, your our, our, our class schedule was like, hey, like you're going to wake up at four. You're going to do PT from five to six. After PT, you go to chow. They march you to chow and then you march from the schoolhouse, which is about a mile away. And from some like eight o'clock to like 5 p.m. you're in class. Right. And then from there, guess what? You have exams. So I'd get home um, right around five. We would do final formation. They pass out the mail and stuff. By the time I'm actually in my my room, it's like 6 p.m. Now I'm going to go for a workout again. Do my second workout from six to seven. Now I'm back in my room. I'm doing my shower do our final formation where they're checking us out or like checking our ID cards to make sure you're in your bunks. And then guess what? From that, from, from like that eight o'clock to like 12 period, I was studying. And so it's so fascinating when I look back, I'm like, where did I learn to grind? (laughs) It all comes from like this medical lab technician program. That's unbelievable. I mean, that's harder than medical school. I mean that like that timeline anyway is, is more than we do in medical school. In in a way it, it can be more difficult but I would say it's much easier because everything you got to do is told. Mm. 
this is what you need to do. Mm -hmm. This is where you got to be at this time. And this is what you got to do. And these are the standards you need to meet. I will say the attrition rate was very high. I think at the time we had about a 70% attrition rate. So if you started with a certain amount of soldiers and sailors, because I was actually in a class with Navy personnel as well, then a lot of those people would recycle and like get pushed to the next class, oh, the wow. next class. So yeah, actually, it was pretty tough. It was tough because yeah. it's, I think a lot of people would, like me just joined it as 18, 19 year olds and were like, what is this saying? Sure, let's do it. Not realizing the amount of um, difficulty was uh, in terms of mindset, in terms of just endurance, because not only you had to be a good soldier upkeeping your physical standards, you also had to be good in the classroom. Right. And so there were just so, so many different demands. And I think it really favored a lot of us who ended up being able to adapt to that very quickly. So Did you always have that work ethic because that that's something I don't know. I, I don't know if all your classmates were staying up till midnight studying. Right. Um, maybe not. But I knew I wanted to be at the top of the class. I ended up not being at the top of the class, but I ended up being a top five, yeah. which which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I. I did not always, I don't know if I always had that work ethic, but I had my mentors like my father. Mm. Um, Like I said, we grew up very tough and my dad was pretty much the sole provider for our family for a while because my mom ended up having a a debilitating injury when I was a lot younger Mm. that prevented her from working. Mm. And so a lot of our finances depended on just my father and seeing him work graveyard shifts all the time. uh, My dad's a mechanic, by the way, so... Mm. Um, and just seeing him like tired all the time and such a, you know, the job of being a mechanic is just not an easy job. And he worked on like garbage trucks. Mm-hmm. And so these are big parts that he's moving around and just seeing him come home late every night and he would still get up earlier than everybody, still take care of the house, take care of things that were fixed around the house, would buy food for us, would get groceries. Um, and then because he was a mechanic, he would become like the family and friend mechanic. So he would take on all these other side jobs that family and friends would bring over. And so I, I learned my work ethic from my father. And he was one of those people that just never complained, just got the job done. Um, and so, yeah, if you're asking, did I always have that work ethic? No, but I saw it from just watching my dad. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, that that work ethic is so rare. Like, it, it tra- Not in medical school, though. I mean, you, yes, I, I agree. Um, but I think sometimes what is driving people is, is a little different. Like, um, but we, we all have to learn it from somewhere. I think, like, I think for me, I, I I gotta shout out my, my late grandpa who passed away this fall. We were having a conversation, uh, this summer and he described a really similar thing to you, how it was like, he was waking up, waking up at 4am, um, to work on the farm. And then, and then he would go to school and he would go to school for all that time. Um, and then he would, uh, he'd go to, to do his sport, whatever, come back and work on the farm again. Son would go down, have some food, um, study as much as he could, fall asleep. And then he'd wake up in the middle of the night and study and then wake up at 4am again. And like, dude, I mean, that's, it's wildly impressive. And like, it sounds like you saw the same thing with your dad and that's where you learned it. I don't know that I've learned it. As as well, I'm still learning, but like dude, that 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 ethic is like it is rare. It is rare, and like when I hear stories about your dad and how he passes on to you, I just hope to have like an ounce of that for my grandpa. You know what I mean? And that's that's just it's very cool to hear. Very cool to hear. I'm I'm happy that you're able to tie that to your grandpa because when things get difficult for us, which they often do, I often drive 
and think about these things that our grandpa and your grandpa and my dad had a sacrifice for. And I think about that. I'm like, in this moment, they would not be saying anything. They would just get it done. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, let's keep going. Absolutely. Right? Well, and if we lose touch of that, I think that's like, whenever I do have, I mean, we all have our moments of weakness, right? Like, I mean, I I probably have more moments of weakness than you do. But, but, but the thing is, is like, man, what always grounds me is I think, think about all the people that have helped you get to where you were. Like, I I think about some of the work ethic that we, we have it a lot better than our parents. Typically. I think, I think that's, um, hopefully a trend. Not everyone gets to experience, but, um, I know I've had more opportunities than my parents and my parents had more opportunities than my grandparents. That sounds like something similar to, to you as well. And it's like, it's such a grounding thing to think about like, man, these guys, um, they sacrifice a lot to help us get to where we are. And then anytime I get that thought in my head where I'm like, ah, like I don't really want to work that hard today. Or like, I, I know I'm procrastinating or whatever. I'm like, man, but think about all the people that have done so much to get you to this spot mm-hmm. I mean, do not take it for granted. It sounds like you don't take it for granted at all. Never, never. Yeah. And it goes two ways, right? Because not I never take what got me here as something to take lightly. There's so many people who spent time, invested time. And I know we're going to bring a mentorship, but have mentored me to be here. And I think it would be a disservice to them and a disrespectful thing to them for me to not try my best at all times. And um future forward as well it's like hey like i'm not only doing this for them i'm always i'm also doing it for the people that are going to come after me so whether it be my family my own personal family which i plan to have on future uh to set them up for the best success that they could possibly have so that then when they are around our position they can look back and be like hey like nate jeff like they sacrificed so much to be here and guess what like it's just that continuous trend and and, and and that's where we're at yeah yeah i love the future forward too because i i we don't always think about that but i i totally one day you want to be setting this like awesome example of hey my dad worked really hard to help me have an easier life and that's i mean that's what all what parents want for their kids i think which is we're getting to that age which is kind of exciting um so tell me about when <clears throat> you made that jump to medical school uh, oh yeah the, you know like because we're talking we, we haven't gotten there we talked about no, you were yeah. thinking of doing nursing then you did you're doing the associate's degree with the lab technician where did you get the the path to medical school so the path to medical school is something that happened three years ago actually so i i never thought i wanted to be a physician so there aside from the military there was three other careers in between then that before medical school um, and so we can get into that, but we could talk forever if, I, if I, we also do that. But, um, I guess, I guess it is, is, I guess, I guess it is important to kind of bring that up. So when I got out of the military, I transitioned to the reserve side. Uh, of course, my initial intention was to use the GI bill to get my bachelor's degree. I ended up getting my bachelor's degree in back in California at this small university called Cal State Dominguez Hills. Um, and my bachelor's degree was in clinical laboratory science. So very easy, transitioned on and like got the bachelor's form of my associates. But what that allowed me to do was um, it allowed me to work as a clinical lab scientist. So oftentimes like people are like, well, so what's the difference between a medical lab technician and then a medical laboratory science scientist? Well, the only difference between the two really is as a medical laboratory scientist, we're, we're able to do the microscopy part 
Um, and then we're also able to do the blood bank part. So if you're, a, if you're in, uh, in the OR and your, your provider is trying to order some, some units of blood for you, you're going to send me patient's blood and I'm going to do a cross, cross type. And I'm going to try to match some units for you and I'm going to do that for you. And MLT can't do that. So it's out of the scope of practice. So it was very easy for me to go into this because I had the skills that I acquired from the military already. And I had many, many years of it. So when I transitioned to college, I mean, it naturally I excelled very well because that's like I had years of like actual clinical practice. And in the military, we fall under DOD standards. So healthcare, the scope that they actually give us as MLTs is very similar to what a medical laboratory scientist can do. So we're actually doing a lot of the medical laboratory scientist's job as an MLT. So I kind of had a cheat code already when I was, uh, I was doing my master's. Um, so what I had done though, when I knew, um, I graduated my MLS program, I was looking for jobs and I was kind of shopping the market. I kind of knew I wanted to go into leadership because I had so much of that clinical background already. I was like, dude, I've worked in a hospital for the so many, so many years, um, throughout various military hospitals and throughout civilian hospitals. I was like, Hey, like, I kind of want to go into like some type of management position or some type of leadership position. And so the role that I seeked out initially, which ended up becoming my first job out of graduating, was a role where it was kind of known as a technical specialist. And so generally this role is uh, reserved for somebody that has had plenty more experience than I did at the time. Um, but essentially you are the laboratory personnel that serves as the liaison for providers, nurses, and all that. And so, for example, uh, I'll give you an example. Like if a provider would have come to me, it's like, hey, like I think a patient has um, CMV. What are the possible test options that I can order? Well, as a laboratory professional, I'd be like, okay, well, like, this is what you can do. You could probably order this, this, and this, but it's up to your discretion to huh. obviously diagnose, wow. right? And so very early on, I was like, oh, dang, like I really, really, really like this job because like I'm interacting with physicians every day. I'm working uh, with uh, laboratory managers of other laboratories every day. And so it was a lot of troubleshooting. Um, but part of the role was we had a team of lab assistants that I kind of um, would help oversee. And so um, it was nice because I got a little bit of the management portion of, of uh, my, my civilian career. And I was able to use a lot of the skills that I acquired in the military to kind of be successful in that as well. Um, so within that role, uh, my directors, who were some of my mentors, like kind of believed in me because at the time I was the, the new hire MLS and I think I was 23 at the time, but the next closest person in age to me, the next with equivalent position mm. was in there, I believe 55, right? Wow. And then the next person above that was like 58, 65. And so there was like me, this fresh 23 year old, and then like a, a slew of like people that are about my parents' age or older. Mm -hmm. And so they put a lot of trust in me and they knew that I was like young and hungry, but they also knew that I knew how to like manage problems and deal with stress because I had this cheat code of, of dealing with all this stress from the military. So I'd come into civilian world and I was like, dude, life's on easy mode, man. Mm -hmm. um, so with that being said, like, you know, a lot of my directors kind of saw something in me and, and I really appreciate this for them because they kept giving me layups of opportunities. Mm -hmm. So while I was there, I worked as a, a medical laboratory scientist for Kaiser for about three years. Um, during my time there, I was able to do a lot of teaching as well. So I was a union representative for labor management partnership. Um, I served on the several boards. I was able to teach diversity classes at our facility. And so they gave me a lot of responsibilities outside of the medical lab 
there as well. But one of the opportunities that they gave me was this in-service thing. So as the tech specialists, the department that we did, we kind of like had this unique role of just kind of dealing with all the unique laboratory problems. So the nice thing is there's always new lab tests that are coming out and we're always trying to make healthcare better. So when there's a new lab test that's getting onboarded to a system, well, it has to go through validation, it has to go through testing. It's like, is this something that's efficacious? Now, this is something we want to use. But part of that is training. So you got to train the physicians, you got to train the nurses how to collect this stuff. So there's a few times where they had sent me out to do some of these trainings. And so I'd go to different hospitals within our system and I'd go there and I'd teach. And, but a lot of the times, in order to catch all the staff, you would want to catch them during that change of shift, mm. right? So you'd catch them, you'd try to get the graveyard shift and the morning shift. So you'd try to come right at that like 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. when they're doing the, the swap. And a lot of those times when I would go, I would see like the med students presenting and I'd be like, and I'd see the residents and they'd be talking about these patients. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on, right? Huh. And then they'd be talking and they'd be like discussing the patients and then boom, they'd break and like they'd start rounding. And I'm like, I want to freaking do that, right? <laughs> I want to freaking do that. I'm like, that is so freaking cool. Like, I don't know what they're talking about, but like, I just thought that was so fascinating because like that role that they're playing, I'm like, man, we got this whole medical team of like 30 people total, two different shifts of attendings, residents, mm -hmm. med students. And I'm like, that is a superpower mm -hmm. because they are literally discussing life changing like treatments and prognoses and diagnoses. And then they're going into these rooms trying to figure out what's going on. And, you know, that was like, man, that's magical. Yeah. And that's kind of where the spark was first started. And I think that was around 2020, yeah. Yeah, 2019, 2020. Wow. Yeah. Well, I love, I love that. Like, I'm sure part of that appeals to you too, because you see, you know, you see this hierarchy of leadership and teamwork within those, those rounding teams, you know, you see the attending physician who's top dog um, and so much is dictated by them being a good leader. And then you have the residents and the medical students. I mean, uh, so much of those skills probably translate, like military skills, they always are translating. But I must say, I love that, like, as a 23-year-old, these people are putting trust in you because that means when I see you're cut from a different cloth, I'm not the only one who thinks it. When you say, ah, Nate, Dana, you're making this up. No, I mean, it, that's awesome to hear that even at 23 when you work with all these people who are clearly a lot older than you, you they trusted you because they saw you had enough life experience and leadership and you held yourself in such a way that like they recognize it, they see it. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and I appreciate you pointing that out, but I, I think a lot of that success comes down to just being humble, yeah. like just having humility because I knew coming in that there's absolutely no way that I'm going to know anything more than everybody here because mm -hmm. they've been doing this their entire lives. And it's same with my lab assistants. I, I went to them and I treated them as if they were the subject matter experts in exactly what they did. And I made sure that they felt that way. And a lot of the times it's like, look, if you can admit, first of all, that you don't know anything and you'd be like, hey, to be honest, I don't know. And I know you're the best at that job. But if you think that's the right way, I'm going to roll with your decision. Mm -hmm. And me as your leader, I'm going to accept that. And let's roll with that. And all of a sudden you start to trust them. Guess what they're going to do for you? They're going to start. They're going to start helping you out. They're going to want to do things for you, right? They're going to want to do things for you when you're not looking like, hey, they put that fire out Yeah. because they trust you. And despite the hierarchy position, they see you as a human being because you've treated them as a human mm -hmm. being. And a lot of it was that it was just personality. It just came down to, hey, like 
I'm going to help you out with whatever you need. Mm -hmm. I know I don't know everything, but guess what? Like, we're going to do this together. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of it came from that. And I think if you can, management comes down to managing personalities. And if you can, as a manager or as a future leader, just learn how to manage those different personalities, Mm -hmm. then you're going to win in life Mm -hmm. because guess what? We're all qualified. We all have these, we all go through the same amount of medical school. We all go through the same residencies, but if you can find out what gets that person going in that team and you get what, like find out what that motivates that person Mm -hmm. and guess what? You're going to win. You're Mm -hmm. yeah. That's amazing. And like, I think too, you mentioned treating everyone the same with, with respect. I mean, when you're working in these hierarchy teams, it's like, if people think they're better better than other people, the team falls apart. It's when you lead from the top and you set the example that like, hey, I may be leading this team, whatever, but I'm going to treat everyone the same. It trickles down. I mean, like the best teams I've been a part of just in this third year have seen have done that. Like, and, and, and it's just cool to see. And obviously you've seen it with, with your work. You're going to love this next year because you're going to see it more and more. And then eventually, you know, we get to be in that role eventually. And you get to decide the culture of the team. I think that's what's so exciting about medicine is like, we can really, we may think we, 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 we all have our own leadership styles and we think maybe our way is the best. But I mean, I think as long as, like you said, treating people with respect, no matter where they are on the, on the poll and also understanding the, each person, what makes them tick, what, what they like, they're even understanding them as a person, you know, oh, maybe so-and-so is having like a tough, tough time at home. Um, can you make a little extra effort that day to like give them a little, little boost, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, it's so important, really simple. Yeah. It's just coming to, to work every day with optimism, Mm -hmm. despite knowing that everything may not be okay. Yeah. And when, uh, when you're, when your team or your subordinate or whatever can see you as a, this beacon of optimism, they're like, you know what, like that person, I don't know what it is about that person, but like whenever I speak to them, like I feel good and mm-hmm. whatever, like whatever we're doing, like I, I want to come to work because I want to work with that person. So if you can, as a med student, even I'm obviously not a third or an M3 year in my M3 year yet, but if you can be that med student, it's like, oh, it's a very pleasant med student because it's like, they're kind of there, but like, they just make things easier for me. Mm-hmm. If you can do that, like, you're probably going to do pretty well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's a great point. Um, I think we'll pause now sure. and then we'll, uh, we'll do the, the game. All right. Welcome back. So Jeffrey and I were just in a break, having some water. Um, and we were just discussing one story, which I want to bring up <laughs> about Kobe Bryant. We were talking about just like what makes people different work ethic and, and such. And we were, we were talking about, there's one story of, uh, I think the NBA USA team was training for the Olympics. I think they're kind of, um, not really at their peak. They were kind of underperforming. And there's a story of, uh, basically like all the guys go out. I think they're in Las Vegas or something. Um, and all the guys go out and they come back from the bar super late, you know, like 3am, 4am. And when they're going up the elevator, um, they see Kobe Bryant coming down and he's dripping in sweat. And it's just like, it's such a cool story because Kobe Bryant is, uh, well, you know, is and, and was, you know, one of the best b- b- basketball players of all time. But I think he's surrounded by all these guys who are some of, also the best basketball players of all time. But everyone knew Kobe was different. He was built from a different cloth. 
and he, while well, all other guys were out kind of drinking, having fun, he's grinding, continuing to improve. And I think like sometimes we don't realize what goes on behind the scenes. I think with Jeffrey, when you hear like lights go out, he's squatting, doing pushups. Um, what was the last thing? Pushups, sit-ups. Yeah. And then to, to all of a sudden get first in your class. I mean, like we don't always see some of the work people are putting in behind the scenes. And I think when you realize, dang, like the people that are exceptional didn't just get there overnight. I think it's, it's really, that's why we love talking to people like Jeffrey, because you learn so much about that work ethic, how they got to where they are. So wanted to share that story. It's a fun story. If you haven't seen the story, you should definitely look it up and as it's told by some other people, because, um, Obviously, Kobe is a huge mentor for me. I looked up to Kobe, not not a direct mentor, obviously. That'd be cool. But uh, and Jeffrey from LA. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure Kobe was a big, a big, big someone you looked up to. Yeah. yeah, and and I think what you're telling me right now is kind of just reminding me about like comparison, mm-hmm. and um, it's so often that we can compare ourselves to people that we idolize, like for example, Kobe Bryant. Um, but it's almost unfair because it's like. We're comparing ourselves to the success that they've achieved at the highest possible light of themselves, but we don't counter the, or we don't, we don't think about the little micro wins that they had to go through. Mm -hmm. Like for example, when everybody was out at the bar, Kobe was like, you know what? I'm going to go to the gym. Mm -hmm. And like, that was a thing that he just did. Mm -hmm. And like, he didn't advertise it. You never told, like Kobe was never like, this is what I do. It was always other people who would recognize that. And I think it's important for us to, when we're setting goals and we're, we're, we're trying to compare ourselves to really just remind ourselves to compare ourselves to who we were yesterday, mm-hmm. right? Because if you do that, you can always succeed. Mm-hmm. You can always compare yourself to yesterday because you can always get a little bit better, right? Yeah. yeah. I love that. That's a great build off because I mean, I, that's exactly, that's exactly the, I think the moral of the story is, is. You just don't see, you don't know exactly what's going on behind the scenes and you have to find that motivation in you. I sound like Eminem. You got to find that motivation. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly it. Um, Anyway, so we're going to go into the game, the vital four. Um, The category we talked about before was choosing uh, four exercises, top four exercises slash sports. Um, Jeffrey and I both love different activities. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we'll both kind of, Probably have some overlap potentially, but I, I Jeffrey has done some really interesting stuff. So I think Vice versa, you want right. you should start. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, pick, yeah, pick your pick your sport and tell me why, and then I'll I'll go next. We'll we'll uh, switch off back and forth. Yeah, so I'll start off with my most current sport that I picked up last year, and it's uh, jujitsu. I think that's something. If, if you guys are not familiar with jujitsu, it's a form of martial arts that kind of combines a little bit of wrestling and. Um, it's a lot of grappling and uh, you essentially try to sub- submit or choke out the, the opponent that you're trying to go against. But it's a, it's kind of a beautiful art because it's they, they compare it to chess often because there's so many different techniques and movements that you can do to kind of contort your body in a way that allows you to uh, gain an advantage on a, uh, on a certain individual. Um, it's also one of those sports that has taught me so much about resilience because, um, you know, it's something that I do and I try to do it two to three times a week. And I typically go to the 6am classes Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And it's one of those things where I wake up at like 5am and 
I like my alarm goes off and I'm like, man, like, is it, is it, do I want to go today? Do I really want to show up on the mats this morning? I'm dead tired. I've been studying all night. I barely have any sleep. And now I'm going to go to this gym and get strangled by <laughs> freaking monsters in this gym, right? Like, and literally get choked to death or not really choked to death, but like choked out and you just show up and you just show up and you show up. And it's, and, and it's something that I really enjoy because it's taught me a lot about just like resilience. It's, it's like, there's days where I don't want to show up and I've had some of my best performances on the mat. And it's like, dang, like, you know, I, I almost did not want to go, but because I came today, I'm leaving this place. I'm like, I feel like I'm on top of the world. <laughs> and it's like something I do early in the morning where after that, I'm like ready to go for class. And I'm like, dude, like nothing possibly can happen today. That's going to be harder than this. Like what's harder than some dude having his elbow in your face <laughs> as he's trying to like submit you and pass your guard. Like there's nothing more annoying in life than that, right? Then when your actual like health is like on the verge of getting choked out. And it's like, so, so it's been something that I've really enjoyed, but yeah, I can great, keep, great yeah, pick. Yeah, no, yeah. that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was awesome. I love that. I love waking up in the morning, getting choked out at 5am and you do it over and over again. Great yeah. pick. Um, my, my first pick is just going to be real simple running, mm. uh, things pretty much everyone hates, but loves. Um, I think running is unique for a lot of reasons. I love running. Um, but not every day, uh, like running is cool because anyone can do it at any time, anywhere. There's no, everyone in the world can run, um, for the most part. And but I think a lot of people don't want to run or, or think they can't do it. I've been trying to encourage my parents recently. My dad was running for a little bit. My mom joked when we were on vacation about running. I was like, mom, why, why can't you run? You know, and, and like, I just want, I think that's what's cool about running is everyone can do it. It's just like getting out there and doing it. I don't think it's super fun for anyone. Um, it definitely gets maybe slightly easier as you get better at it. But I mean... Um, I think we've, we've both done some pretty long distance stuff and it, you can learn a lot about yourself in those moments. Some, some super good moments where it's like almost like a spiritual experience. You're running, it's downpouring and you like, you're just with yourself and it's like, it's a really, really amazing feeling, but there's other times where you, it's freezing cold and you're like, God, why do I do this? What am I doing this for even? Um, but running just te teaches you so much about resilience too, I think so. Lots, lots of trend translates a lot yeah. to medicine and life, I think. Yeah, and running is just about showing up because yeah. I don't know if you're like me, but I don't think there's ever been a run where I've finished where I'm like, I feel worse than I started. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. I you totally always agree. feel better. Uh huh. And then if you can like get past that initial point of just getting out the door, putting your shoes on, and getting out there, you're like, dang, mm -hmm. I feel pretty freaking good now. You get done and you're yeah. like, I accomplished something today. Yeah. Well, what else can go, like, what like, else can I do? I'm on top of the uh -huh. world and you feel so good about yourself because you set your day with the high. Love that. Right? Yeah. And so what better way to start your day than a high? <laughs> I know. I agree. I agree. Spoken from the California guy, but we're talking, uh, we're, no. talking about, we're talking about running highs. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> number two for you. Uh, so number two, um, I would say weightlifting has been something pretty specific uh in my life and just yeah we can talk about crossfit or any type of weightlifting but 
it's been something that's been consistent ever since I joined the military. You know, one of the things I think we mentioned, it's like physical fitness was always something that is, is something that is like a core pillar of the military. Mm -hmm. And if you can have that first basis of physical fitness, guess what? Any of your soldiers are going to look to you as like, hey, like, I don't know any, but anything about that person. But I know that they've spent a lot of time on that body and like they've worked a lot of time. And like there's just this this work ethic that goes into that that's unspoken um, when, when you see a person that looks physically fit. And so part of it was just like looking at my mentors when I was a lot younger and I was like, man, I want to look jacked like that <laughs> one day. But then also just the physical confidence that you feel and coming to the gym um, every single day and then knowing that now all of a sudden I'm able to reach weights or strengths that uh, I was not able to uh, in, the, in the past. It's mm -hmm. It's, it's that same mindset that kind of comes uh, with, with medicine. It's like, hey, like, I don't know that right now, but I'm getting better and, and I can see the progress. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really neat to see. Um, showing up every day, getting better. Showing up every day. And then just the confidence that you kind of build from that. Yeah. It's like, hey, like, you know, like at the end of the day, I've had a really bad day, but guess what? At least I'm fit. <laughs> yeah. It's such a silly thing, but yeah. it's like I, at least I feel good about myself my, like, physically. Yeah, my, yeah I'm, I'm keeping myself healthy. Like, yeah, like, it, it, you walk away at least. Hey, my body's healthy at the yeah. baseline. Yeah, 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 at the baseline. No, and so. you need it to do other things too. So um, that's a great one. Uh, and I'm debating whether or not we can we should talk about the this story. <clears throat> we'll we'll talk about this Thanksgiving story afterwards okay. there's a there's a lifting running story about jeffrey that i think has to be said because it's wildly impressive um amongst a lot of other things my um second is i'm gonna, I'm gonna choose hockey uh hockey is it's just a treat in the wisconsin winter we haven't had a lot of good ice lately but um it's something i picked up in high school i had never skated in my life never learned how to skate um and then in high school began skating i think a lot of people are like ah, it's too late to try to pick up hockey it's too late to pick up this sport um i started skate. i'd never skated never put on ice skates and then in high school i'm like i'm gonna buy some skates bought some skates for 50 bucks started skating with my buddies um and then i kind of was like man hockey looks so fun and so i got a stick started playing and i was terrible but i'd play like every winter, all winter, it's all my friends would do. I got rocked all day long. <laughs> I sucked. I fell. Um, but like at this point, I, I've been playing for, I guess, you know, started maybe junior year of high school. So six, not like I've been playing for eight, nine years now, which is kind of crazy to say, but I started so late and it's like one of the, my favorite things to do. And I think especially people don't love Wisconsin winters, but my, my pr proposition for them is do, do, do the things that Wisconsin winters allow you to do. So it's the hockey, it's the um, cross-country skiing, it's the downhill skiing. Um, do, do the thing, because you can't do that elsewhere. You know, that's right. a very unique thing. So. Right, so if you can't change the environment, adapt to it. Exactly, right? exactly. So. That's, the, that's, the, that's the secret to life, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd agree. I, I think you're probably going through that as, a, as an M3, going from team to team, from service to service. Mm -hmm. You're just like, whatever worked in OB, well, guess what? It ain't going to work in surgery. <laughs> no, whatever worked in surgery, it ain't going to work in psychiatry. And no, so sir. that continuous adaptation yeah. is key to life. Gotta be willing. Yeah. So, number three? Number three, um, this is kind of an oddball. I don't know if you would consider it as fitness, but uh, it's a sport that I grew up loving and it's like racing. Racing. Yeah. So uh, when I say racing, it's like, so 
uh, I think I mentioned that my father was a mechanic, mm-hmm. uh, but he started his career as a mechanic working for racing teams. So he was a mechanic for like uh, some, some racing teams back in California. So one of his pastimes was to, he built a race car and kind of, kind of crafted this thing himself. But as very early on, he kind of put us into go-karting. And I, I, I know this is funny because it's like, you know, go-karting is a very expensive sport, but because my dad was very resourceful and knew how to build stuff and he would like create and buy things that were like cheap and like wow. would, would be able to craft things, um, I think we mentioned that, like, we, we kind of like Formula One. I was going to say, this yeah. sounds like Lewis Hamilton. It, exactly. And so, like, like that's why I love Lewis Hamilton so much, because I see a lot of his life. Obviously, he's one of the best Formula One drivers, arguably, ever. Mm-hmm. But I see a lot of myself in him, because it's like his dad sacrificed working two jobs so much, and then he became world champion eventually, mm-hmm. seven times, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I remember my dad, like, despite whatever struggle we were going through he always found a way to like include us in his passions and um so auto racing and and i say that as a sport because it is so hard on the body what mm-hmm. people don't realize is there's a lot of the g-forces that you go through when you're going through a corner and then the mental fortitude and the the concentration the focus that you need to have to sustain the perfect line and then to be in tune with your vehicle to know hey like my tires are going out mm-hmm. my brakes are fading these are things that you have to calculate very spot on and if you look at a lot of professional racing drivers they actually do a lot of like reflex testing and they a lot of if you look at their necks like yeah. they're working on their necks so much because they have like a 10 pound helmet on their head guess what they're going around a corner 150 miles per hour that 10 pound helmet is now significantly heavier than it was at, at yeah. Sandy so so um, it's a sport that I consider one of my favorites and obviously it's not a sport that's as accessible or maybe as common than most people but it's something that is so core to me that I really enjoy I did, I did not know you you were uh, is carding can I say carding is that the right word yeah yeah, yeah carding is yeah. a great, great yeah, way to play yeah. um, but that is now transitioned because I'm a little bit older now into car racing so that's that's something that me my brother and my my dad back home before I left, um, we would often do as a family together. <laughs> wow, that's yeah, yeah. amazing. Yeah. So, so had you had a little bit more karting skill, you'd be the Lewis Hamilton of uh, Formula One. You know what? I don't <laughs> know if that's true. You have, if, you you know, enough, you have enough talents, yeah, man. Yeah, I don't know if that's true. I, I can't say I was the best, but uh, I did race a few few races and did, did decently well with what we I'm had. I'm sure you made yeah. your dad proud in a lot of, a lot of yeah. ways. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Dang, what a, that's a great pick. You should have led with that one. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, man. Okay. Man, to follow that up with basketball does not seem right, but I, I'm going to have to say basketball. Um, basketball is number three. Jeffrey, this is actually, so officially first time I met Jeffrey, I think was probably playing basketball on the courts and Nate was whipping my butt. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I did, I did, but um, it, was, it was an awesome battle. And then what was awesome was after we had, we was like a super tight game, really um, competitive. And then we, my team won, whatever. And then, <laughs> and then actually I, I was out to eat with some friends, um, some mutual friends of, of Jeffrey and I. And they say, hey, this, this Jeffrey guy's going to stop by. I'm like, oh yeah, sh- sure. Like, that's awesome. Like, I, that's awesome. I didn't realize he was joining us for lunch, whatever. And sure enough, it was Jeffrey Rodriguez, the point guard, who had been working us all day long. Oh, no, and I, I, I couldn't believe it. And so basketball is something that we both definitely share an interest for. Yeah. 
it's an awesome sport. Great teamwork. I it ah oh man. I mean, basketball is one of the coolest sports. I it's my favorite sport to watch. We got Milwaukee Bucks and in our home state it's the greatest thing so um i don't know if there's anything anything else to say about basketball there's it's just i don't know i think anyone can play it It takes a ton of skill it takes like size coordination teamwork you cannot win a game yourself i think that's fair we've been on enough losing teams to know that even if we think we're pretty good we're we're not gonna win games so yeah i I would probably just follow you with that that's probably my fourth sport like i didn't play in high school or anything like that but really yeah i didn't know that you're you're solid i I don't know about that but (laughs) often a lot of my friends did and obviously you just become kind of a product of your environment and so it was a way for me basketball was to just kind of be around my friends all the time Mm -hmm. and so it was a way for me to like give my parents an excuse like hey like we're gonna go to basketball and like we're gonna do this and Um, It was one of those sports where I learned about teamwork, Mm -hmm. right? Like often we don't learn about how to communicate and how to work as a team. And oftentimes we're always kind of worried about our own performance. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times in basketball, maybe you're not the best player on the team and you kind of have to take a lesser role and you kind of have to sacrifice. And totally, are, are, are you comfortable enough with your ego to accept that? so that your team has a better chance of winning, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And then oftentimes in medicine, you kind of have to accept like, hey, maybe I'm not the best for this, yeah. but guess what? We got a team full of people. I know that someone are... that can, yeah. Right, so humility again. I love that. Yeah. I, how, could I, how could I forget the role, the quintessential role player? I mean, and I think we've all done that. We've all done that. It totally yeah. depends on the team because there's yeah. teams, the best team I've ever been on, I was an absolute role player. I, I would rebound the ball, and I'd pass the ball. I wouldn't take shots because I know there's someone else on that team that can take shots yeah. and make them. Yeah. I'm not gonna be making them. And that, like to know that, I had, that's I should have said that. You're, 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 this is this is why Jeffrey's better spoken. No, 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 no. no. Um, this is why we're here together. So you, you're taking that as your four. I'll take that as my four. Okay. Is that okay? Is no, that fair? I, that's appropriate. I, you're welcome to have another one, but um, I'll finish it off with my four, uh, which is swimming. Oh, swimming. Swimming. Okay. A couple reasons. One reason, uh, I think swimming is something a lot of people fear, for sure. And that's something that I was fearful of for a while as well. I mean, I grew up doing swimming lessons, but like water is a scary thing, I think, Mm, for everyone. Yeah. Um, And then it's something you have to, you just have to face head on. And I think like pool swimming is one thing. You can see the bottom and you know where you can maybe stand. Um, so I think you can navigate that and you can navigate that fear a little bit. Once you're on the open water, you're really out there by yourself. A lot of times you can't see the bottom. It's completely dark. Now you're facing this fear of like, oh man, what if I can't stop swimming because I'll drown if I can't stop swimming. (laughs) And like, I tell you, like when I was, I was training for the Ironman and like I was doing these, uh, open water swims and like initially I'd put my head in the water and I freaked out. I remember the first triathlon I ever did. 400 meter swim had never done an open water swim before all of a sudden i put my head in the water and i realized i couldn't see anything i completely panicked and it was a 400 meter swim so usually some people finish that in five minutes it took me 13 something crazy because I, I completely panicked i didn't realize how to i'm a okay swimmer but all of a sudden i completely panicked and from that point on it was a fear i had to face of this like darkness and and um but over time you become comfortable with it and that becomes like a strength of yours like i think for me 
the water being a strength for me is something like I take a ton of pride in because I love water. I love swimming now. I love like um, that that thing that was once scary for me has now become an area of comfort, which is which is cool. I mean, which that's that's really that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's awesome because swimming something I'd like to personally get into. You mm-hmm. know, I'm not I'm not a great swimmer. I can survive in the water. I can pretty much float. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe one of my goals that I haven't told anybody yet is that I would love to do an Ironman as well. But I realize a big component of that is the first part, which is the swimming. And so that's something that I haven't personally haven't worked on. And to your point, I've I've been in the water, open water, and a uh, few times I've, I've been surfing. And it's like, it's completely different because I'm holding on to a surfboard and I got the wetsuit on and you're kind of floating. But to be in open water like that, to just, just trust yourself, to not panic, it's mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. freaking difficult. And I'm at that point right now because, yeah, I think we were both in the Dominican Republic uh, over this uh, past break. And I remember uh, I was with my friends and they were like, hey, let's go touch the buoy. And the buoy probably was, I don't know, 50 meters out. And I remember like the, the swell was like decently kind of strong. And I was like, all right, let's go. I probably took like five strokes and I was like, oh, hell no. Like, I was like, I got to get out of here. Like, I'm going to drown all of a sudden. And um, just getting comfortable with that. It's something that uh, I aspire to be and and good at. And it's interesting to hear that you now love that. You've turned one of your fears into something that you absolutely love to do. So it's terrifying. uh, It's terrifying. Because you realize if you fail in that moment, no one's there to save you. I mean, your friends are there, but like what you're at the will of this nature of this ocean of this body of water yeah it doesn't care if you start drowning no. so like i think that part of it is really something that i like i have an appreciation for that now it makes me feel like it makes me feel small but i like to know that like i have this strength in this area now so. yeah it, it makes you feel like an absolute baby too i'm like man i'm a grown man i should be able to freaking get and i'm like no i'm so scared <laughs> We just, made, we just made water a really profound thing. Yeah, but yeah. No, it absolutely is. Um, okay, so kind of transitioning. We're going to come back to kind of the med school part, but I think maybe I, I've mentioned, I think of you as a really successful medical student. You do a lot really, really well. We talked about your studying and work ethic. That's, that's a huge part of succeeding in med school. Um, but something that you also do really well is you seem to find, you seem to find a lot of balance. You are involved in a lot of different things in terms of sports and activities and clubs and leadership. And I guess what I want to know is like, what are all the things you do? What do you think you do like best outside of medicine currently? Like what is, what is something you feel really strongly about yourself with? Um, in terms of like personal development or like in terms of just yeah. like activities? But or- I think both. I think both. I probably could have clarified that question, but I kind of wanted to leave it open because. What do I do? Well, uh, you know what? I think what I do well is sticking to my goals. And I think often a lot of medical students, we're high achievers. We have, we're some of the smartest people that have ever accumulated into like these classes. But we often forget about our goals because there's so many things that are being thrown our way. There's there's life, there's research, there's this class, there's this assignment that I got to do. And then at some point you just like lose sight of your goals. But I think something that I'm really strong at is knowing what my strategic goals are and then reverse engineering 
what I need to do to kind of get to those mm-hmm, goals. Mm-hmm. And then if I can just like remind myself in the moment, like, hey, like, what do I need to do today? Well, these are the most pressing things. But hey, like, oh, I have this distraction on the side. Like, like uh, maybe somebody wants to go for a dinner or maybe somebody wants to go to this concert. I'm like, well, in this moment, does that fit within my strategic goals? Does it fit in the priorities that I have right now? And if it does, yeah, sure, let's go do it. And if it doesn't, all right, we're not doing that. Yeah. And so I think that's something I've become good at. Yeah. I, I think that's a, a strength of mine that has allowed me to do so many different things within medical school and not lose sight of being a human being. Because I think we often go into this medical school thing and we kind of lose ourselves to it because you can get consumed by medicine so easily because there's so much you can possibly do. If you wanted to fill your entire life with medicine, you could. And guess what? There would still be more medicine to fill that life up with. You'd have way more medicine you possibly could. But if you can stay true to yourself and know what those things that make you happy outside of medicine, uh, then you, you're probably going to be a lot more successful because you can see medicine as a pathway to um, helping out that type of lifestyle that you want to have to live in the future. So um, I kind of see med school as some type of passion project for us right because it's like hey like that's yeah yeah, like yeah i'm a med student but it's not my full-time life that's not life for me Mm -hmm. life is everything outside life is about family Mm -hmm. the relationships we build the networking we do and the experiences that we experience Mm -hmm. med school is giving me its own type of experience in itself and it's going to give me a career but that career in the end is going to support my lifestyle that i'm trying to live outside so it's a beautiful mentality because I think it's so easy to get swallowed up by that whole, by med school. Yeah. I mean, I think we're all guilty of it sometimes, but absolutely. <clears throat> you mentioned the reverse, reverse engineering, like your goal, is that kind of you finding structure, uh, like a structured path to that, that goal? So you set the goal and then you kind of say, okay, well, how, what steps do I need to take to get there? Can you like talk more about that process? Yeah. So with whatever it is in life, um, I think it's important to kind of have Um, a long-term goal and a general long-term goal because if you have a general long-term goal and it has to be a pretty clear one I think it has to be something that you can almost grasp and see and visualize Um, and once you have that kind of goal then now you know whatever activities that life throws you so like for example for med students and you're like dude i can do this club that club this club whatever that club i can go into that research whatever there's so many possible things we can do ultimately if you have this very 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 strong tangible goal it's so easy to pluck what you want to pick and choose and kind of craft because like you'll know that like that fits within that that system and what i mean about reverse engineering it's just yeah like set tangible goals so for example, like if you want to do orthopedic surgery, right? Okay, well, let me see. Let me go to the match rate and let me see how many average publications you need to do, all these average step score, all these different things. Well, guess what? Now I need to be at least somewhere within the average, right? Mm-hmm. To at least give myself a chance. Mm-hmm. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to shape my way in my life where I can kind of meet these these goals. And so that's just like one example mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, one of my life goals is to just come become really good at a lot of random things. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I'm right with you. Yeah. I'm right with you. Yeah. Like I'm not great at anything <clears throat> to be honest. I'm really not good at anything, but I'm decent at a lot of random things. 
right? Like I just have these like weird things that allow me to like kind of float within my own system because, but I know who I am. Yeah. But what that also does by exposing yourself to so many different things is you become a lot more relatable to people because the chances of you overlapping with another person's likes and interests are very high when you have many of them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? You may not know the most that that person may be an expert at whatever that is that you do in common with them, but at least you'll be able to share that bond with them. I love that. And then it'd be like, you've created a bridge now that was not once there. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and that's something that I've always admired about you. And actually we both have really in common is that like, just, I, I love like setting a goal. Generally it's like, you know, I picked up guitar within the past year and I, awesome. I played every single day. I love playing guitar. And like, um, I mean, I could go on and on about different hobbies, brewing beer and, 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 uh, biking and X, Y, Z. Um, but like, I guess I've never really thought about the thing you mentioned is it makes you a very relatable person. And, and it's crazy. I remember in high school, I, there were a lot of People are mean in high school. Even if you're trying, you're a really nice person. People yeah. can be super mean. And I remember, I I know exactly. I can picture them right now. They told me they said, Nate, uh, why don't you choose one sport to focus on? Because you're not good at any of them. And I was like, I was like, dang, maybe he's right. Like I'm not good at any sport. <laughs> I, I play basketball. I play soccer. I play tennis, and I play golf. And I'm not good at any of them. I was a role player in every single one, not a star in any of them. And what's crazy is I, I think about that all the time, but now that's such a strength mm. because I do so much and I do them all okay. I don't, I'm not the world-class at any, at any of them, but it makes you so relatable. You're like, every time I go into a conversation, I want to know what someone does, what makes them tick, what do they like to do in their free time? Because chances are I'm going to have a hobby that I like with them. And 100%. Like, it's like sweet that you've seen that and you verbalized it. I guess I've never thought about it that way, but like, I mean, you can relate to anyone that way and people love to have that conversation of here's something we share. Yeah. So the truth is I actually learned that from sales. So really, yeah. When I worked for my sales jobs, I mean, if you go back to when I was 18, 17 years old, I'm over here at the sunglass hut and I'm over here trying to sell $500 Tiffany sunglasses (laughs) Well, how the heck? I'm, I'm never going to sell these things, right? Like, I, like who's going to buy these? Believe it or not, people do. But often what I found was instead of trying to sell something to a person, I often found that if you can just like connect with them, with whatever it was. Like, for example, if a, if a person walked in and they were wearing a golf shirt, I'd comment like, hey, like, oh, so you play golf? I'd start the conversation about golf and we'd start talking about golf. It's like, yeah, you know, I've golfed with my dad a few times and I'm terrible at it. But and they're like, oh, like what ranges do you golf at? At some point, it's just a natural conversation. I've built that connection that was not once there. And then all of a sudden, you're like, hey, like, by the way, like, do you wear sunglasses for golf? Like, I mean, it's something that you probably do, right? It's something that you, that you need to do outside. And if you want to protect your eyes, well, these are like some of the options that a lot of our golfers that come in here, like, try to buy. Um, if you want to try some on, feel free to. And, and oftentimes, like, I would just be like, dude, I didn't, like, I didn't do anything. I yeah. just, like, I just found what was relatable amount, amongst mm-hmm. us. And I've, I've found that that skill has like carried me on throughout life because as human beings, we are all the same human race, despite our differences in ethnicities, genetic differences, whatever. We all bleed the same blood. Okay. I know med students can be like, oh, we have different blood types. I'm <laughs> like, no, no, no. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is like, look, we're a lot more in common as human beings than we are different. 
right? I'm in more, I'm more in common with you, Nate, than I am with my dog, for example, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So if you can find that as a person going through life, the tendency of people to be more receptive of you mm -hmm. and the tendency of people to just talk about you in a good light mm -hmm. tends to be uh, more, occurs a lot more just because of the reputation that you mm -hmm. built. It's like, hey, like, you know, I don't know much about Nate, but I know that he golfs and I know that he plays guitar. And I really like those two things. So I don't know much about him, but I know those two things and I really like that guy. So when people talk about you or bring you up in conversation, they're like, that's a great guy. Yeah, like he's awesome. Like <laughs> such a cool guy. Yeah, like and then you're just like you're like, what? Like like all of a sudden people are talking about you that you you didn't even realize, but it's just like being natural and be, being making these connections with genuine people. Genuine. Yeah, yeah, and these are absolutely genuine connections that you're making with people. So Yeah. No, I love that. Go, yeah. Um I want to transition into and I'm going to have you tell a story and I want you to tell it to the absolute maximum. Oh, You've no. done a lot of crazy things, I'm sure in your life in terms of like by crazy, I mean crazy impressive. Um, one thing that stuck out to me that I know about is the Thanksgiving thing. I'm going to call it a thing. Okay. It was a full day affair that you did with a couple of buddies. Can you, you want to talk about that in its entirety sure. from 4 a.m., whatever time it started, till, till the... Yeah, till yeah, the yeah. So I think what Nate's referring to is... Um, I, th I think. Yeah, I yeah, think. yeah. So... Um, <laughs> You know, I turned 30 back in November and um, it's crazy to say that because I'm like, dang, I, honestly, I don't feel like I'm 30. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but here I am, 30 years old. And I was like, man, like people always do that like big thing. Like when they turn 30, you're like, oh, like this is your dirty 30. Like you got to do something different. And so I had came back from our military training over the summer because I had some training and I was just like, man, like. I'm in pretty good shape because I, I spent the summer working out and I was like, what would be something cool and crazy to do? Well, at the time I was talking to a friend of mine, Kirsten, she's actually a med student at Yale and she had turned 34 and she was like, you know what? For my 34th birthday, uh, I did a 34K and I was like, oh crap, that's a freaking good idea, right? <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm turning 30. Um, so I was like, let me do a 30 miler, right? Because I looked up a 34K, I think it ended up being like about 19 miles or something like that. And I was like, well, I already did a marathon, so I can't do anything less than a marathon. But I was like, let me do a 30 miler. So I ended up thinking, I'm like, all right, hey, on my birthday, I'm gonna do a 30 miler. It's happened to be on Thanksgiving day this, this past year. So I was like, that'd be a great way to break in Thanksgiving because like I can do a 30 miler and then I can have a nice Thanksgiving meal, right? Um, and then I had asked my buddy, Adam, Adam Plotkins, also an M2 at MCW. He also is a military HPSP student. And I was like, who is crazy enough to do, do this with me, right? And Adam and me, we had spent the entire summer together uh, working on our fitness and military stuff. And I was just like, okay, let me ask Adam. No hesitations, Adam's like, yeah, let's do it. All right, cool, cool. <laughs> now we got this signed up. So this is probably back in August or September. And, um, but once we started training for the run, I was like, dude, like this running is not enough. Like this is, this is going to be easy. Like, like don't get me wrong. I don't think long distances for me are personally like easy. Like to, to your point, I don't find running something that's very fun because it just takes some amount of time. And, and, and like you go through these ups and downs and like with med school, you often don't have a lot of time. And so you value your time very much. 
and but we were just like dude i am i i had done like some pre-marathons leading up to the 30 miler and i was like oh like i did a 26 mile run like casually on a sunday and i was like i felt fine like i i could probably i could probably do this yeah yeah so at that point it was like hey like how can i make this harder at this point i was continuing to lift and so i'm just trying to get our numbers up and so i was like hey like what if i do a thousand pounds right before the 30 mile run that was like kind of a joke i was like oh yeah like you know there's this thing right now called like hybrid athletes where like they run long distances but they're also very strong in the gym and i was like yeah let's you know let's try to be a hybrid athlete quote Mm -hmm. unquote i asked adam again no hesitations love this guy he was just like yeah let's do it so uh thanks to me today um We'd, we'd led up to this moment. And what, what is a thousand pounds for everyone? Like, yeah. Who so doesn't, so familiar? a thousand pounds is a, uh, comp- a com- composition of three lifts. It's a squat, a bench and a deadlift. And the accumulation of those weights for a one rep max should add up to a thousand pounds. And so, so over 330 pounds on average for, for each lift, for each lift on average, if you were to break it down uh-huh, like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so, now that we had set that, Adam was like, yeah, let's go do it. Let's do it. Totally. Um, yeah, we had this goal set and we, I ended up training very, very hard for it because I wanted to get to the point where my thousand pounds would feel very, very easy because like I wanted to show up on the day of that run where I could just knock out the thousand pounds and like get on this run. Um, so we actually did it at MCW. We did it at Tonkins. I love that gym. Um, most expensive gym membership I've ever had, by the way. Yeah, right. Right. Um, started around like 4 a.m. So we met up and uh, we just knocked out 1,000 pounds. And I'm leaving out somebody that's very important here. And his name is Justin Shu. He's a buddy of yours, mm-hmm. too. Um, he's One an of M- best friends. He'll come on here eventually, too. I, I hope he does. <laughs> I, I just was working out with him last night and somebody I always look forward to seeing. And um, Justin mind you, he had not known anything about this until maybe like two weeks prior. And Justin caught wind and he was just like, I'll do that with you guys. And I'm like, really? I'm like, all right, cool. And so like, I didn't really talk to him about it until maybe like the night prior. And like, Justin's like, all right, so like, what time are we meeting? And I'm like, no way. Like, Justin's going to do it with us. Like, Justin's down for this challenge. And mind you, he's in third year and you're like, you guys are both M3s mm-hmm. and he's just grinding as an M3. And I'm like, this guy hasn't trained for this and he wants to do this. So I think he's a more impressive candidate. But when, when you have him on here, you can talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we ended up doing the thousand pounds. Uh, Justin, because he was not training for that, um, he did his best on whatever lifts. So yeah. he did what he Crazy did. Crazy strong guy. Crazy in strong. In his own right. Yeah. In his own right. Um, and then so we did that for like about an hour and then. The run took off around like 5 a.m. and we did the, th- the the 30 miles and it was painful. I learned a lot. Um, my phone had died right in the beginning. So I did the entire thing with no music. So that was just a mental battle from the beginning. I was like, oh, this is how we're starting, huh? And, um, you know, when you're running for for that long, like I think you know this as an, as an Ironman uh, competitor and com- uh, finisher, it's like, dude, like you just go through these ups and downs. And I went through like my entire life story. And, and I remember thinking, I was like, man, like you, you're doing this right now. Like <laughs> this sucks, but like you showed up uh-huh. and there was just like such a rush knowing once we completed the thing and we were just like, wow, we just did that. And like, that was difficult. And it was nerve wracking because you're like, 
everybody had started catching wind that we were doing this thing. And it's like, dude, now people are expecting us to finish this <laughs> thing. And I'm like, oh, dude, there's this pressure. Um, but yeah, that's that's the challenge. Sorry if that was long-winded. No, yeah. I, it's so impressive. Yeah, I'm so yeah. glad that you shared that, especially in that way, because I want people to fully understand. Like, I mean, it's an unbelievable thing to do. I, I love it too, like you just mentioned, how you are you go through – people who haven't done like really really long races you fight with yourself on a lot of things i think i see you and i'm like jeffrey is so strong-minded but like we fight with ourselves every day i mean i think even i love david goggins i like david goggins goggins is one of my favorite people to just listen to but he when he says things are not easy for him and he like suffers and he doesn't want to run in the morning i'm like well, I thought this guy was the toughest guy in the world. Yeah. So then I think that is such a freeing thing for me because I realized, well, I'm no different than him. What? Why can't I do that? And like when you share that story of you're fighting through yourself, I'm like, well, not to say I can go out and do 30 miles, but like it gives people confidence to realize everyone struggles doing that. It's never easy for anyone, no matter how impressive you are. It's, it was definitely not easy. And I think that's a lesson for life. It's Life is not easy, but if you continue to do hard things, you start to acquire these little tools for yourself to be um, resilient. And so when more hard things come, it's like, hey, I got these tools. I I can kind of like fall back on these things Mm -hmm. and fall back in terms of confidence because you're like, yeah, it's hard right now, Mm -hmm. but if I just like stick it out, I'll I'll be able to make it through. It's it's like a mental tool toolbox. Absolutely. Just things you can dig into, um, things get hard. Well, so I love where this whole conversation has gone. I have some structured questions I love to ask everyone because it's just, I think it tells a lot about people. Um, so one of them is what is one goal that you're determined to achieve in your medical career? And then kind of on the flip side, outside of your professional ambitions, what is a personal dream or goal you're, you're working towards? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, my medical career, uh, I think it's awesome to think that we can like think of these big, 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 big things. You know, I don't really see like one necessarily big goal in my life as, as a physician. It's more so like the amount of impact that I can make. Um, you know, I am doing the military match. And so I think if I can just serve as many service members and be the best physician, as cliche as that sounds, for them in the times of their needs, I think I would have done an amazing job and a great job. And, and I'd feel, I'd find a lot of peace in that, you know, I'm not here to try to win a Nobel prize or anything like that. I think up until the point of now, I think everything that I've accomplished, I, I'm very pleased with and I'm very happy with. Of course, as I progress through this career, certain goals may manifest out of that. But as of right now, there's no major thing. It's more so how can I be the best physician? How can I serve others to be the best physician? And when I eventually do serve as a, a military physician, like how can I inspire others to maybe follow a similar pathway as I did? Because it was a lot of mentors of mine that kind of showed me and taught me that, okay, like if I could kind of do it, then you could probably do it too. And I think that'd be really cool to be able to do that for others. And you want to talk about mentorship too. So I'd love to hear kind of who, who some mentors were for you um, oh, yes. throughout, throughout. I mean, you have so many life stages yeah. so i'd love to just hear like who are key key mentors for you yeah so um 
definitely my parents. I think I mentioned them yeah. all throughout. Just the work ethic, the resilience to live, the sacrifice that they put coming to this country at 19 and 21, not knowing anybody, barely speaking the language, and then creating a life so that their kids could have and um, pursue whatever they wanted to do is is something that I I, 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 I draw from a lot. Um, one of my platoon sergeants back then, who his name is Staff Sergeant Brisson, um, somebody that changed probably single-handedly made me who the person I am today because he saw me and saw me. This is like undisciplined, um, un, 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 unworthy, lack of hard work type of soldier and turned me into somebody that you would want to have on every team. And he made my life so difficult, but he's single-handedly the impact that I needed because um, he just set the example and he set the standard and he taught me that's the right way to do and he always told me, like, one of the things that he would say, it's like, hey, hey, Jeff, like, you know, doesn't matter how much success you have, doesn't matter how much success you've achieved, all of that can be taken away in the next five minutes if you mess up. So everything that you've achieved, guess what? You got to maintain that. You got to still do the right thing no matter what, because your reputation and what you do moving forward um, is what really matters. Mm -hmm. And so despite how much success you gain throughout life, you got to remind yourself, like you can always mess that up within the next five minutes. And I can, I, I think a lot of us med students and physicians, future physicians can draw from that. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, one of my other mentors was uh, my, my, um, my professor from undergrad, Professor Harris. She's kind of somebody that believed in me as a, uh, lab scientists, she kind of saw that like I had a knack for wanting to teach. And so one of the things that I left out after my uh, career as an MLS or a medical laboratory scientist, I actually spent a year of teaching at, at a university. And so she was somebody that kind of uh, gave me the inspiration to to want to kind of pursue that because she's somebody that's like loved within our community. She's retired now. But she kind of gave me that chance because I should not have been hired, probably. I did not have the years of experience. I did not have the tenureship. But she was just like, you can communicate. You can talk to people. And she gave me this chance. and She gave me this opportunity. And uh, it's like sometimes that's all you need. Um, and some of the, that's some somebody that actually wrote one of my letter recs for med school. Wow. So somebody I look up to. Yeah. Um, and then I think lastly, one of them is... Dr. Leach, Dr. Gary Leach. So this is, uh, he's a urologist at Cedar sinai in LA. Um, and he's somebody, funny enough, Nate, maybe you know this about me, but uh, I'm in like in these like car clubs and stuff in LA. And <laughs> I had met this guy because I had met him through like a drive. And I just had like the most nice conversation with this guy because like I, again, I always try to find a connection with, the, with somebody. And at that day he was wearing a Michigan hat. And I said, like, oh, like, like, oh, are you like, did you go to Michigan? And I was like, he's like, yeah, like, you know, I graduated there. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Like, I applied to their med school. And then we got in this conversation. It turns out he's a physician as well. And then, like, within about an hour, like, he's inviting me to come to the OR. Oh, right? my God. Yeah. And I remember, like, the few times that I've, I've gone to the OR with him and the few times I was in clinic with him, the amount that his patients absolutely loved him because he was a urologist so he had a he had patients for i mean 15 20 years mm -hmm. out that he's been seeing for, for so long but his ability to connect with the patients and remember the smallest little details about them 
I remember the way that his patients would look at him and admire him. And I would just be like, that is who I aspire to be as a physician. Like mm-hmm. somebody that you can absolutely trust mm-hmm. and come to. And then I think the thing that stood out was he made it a point to remember small details about his patients that nobody else would take the time to. So one of the examples was he remembered one of his patients that he had not seen for 15 years had golden doodles <laughs> and remembered the name of the golden doodles. Oh. It brought up the name of the golden doodles and like the patient was just like, whoa. And like in that moment, it's like this building of trust because that patient was just like, oh, wow, like Dr. Leach really cares about me because he listens to this detail that nobody else remembers. Yeah. And if you can do that with your interactions day to day as a future physician, as a med student, wherever, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, <laughs> it's, it's life changing because yeah. like you're listening to things that people normally don't take the time to remember. Yeah, I, I've. It's funny you say that because I have a mentor uh, who I meet with monthly, um, and one of the things he told me was that exact thing. But see, your your doc is rem- remembering it off the top of the head. Very impressive. He told me on your contacts when you have a conversation with someone, you hear, "Oh, so and so has two golden do- doodles, one named Bob and one named Joe." You put that into your notes of that contact and on your iPhone, and you say. One one uh, golden doodle Bob, one golden doodle Joe. Next time you see them, review the notes, like, and ask, "Hey, how are the golden doodles doing? Yeah. How, how how are Joe and Bob?" And they're yeah. like, "Wait, you remember that? We met yeah. one time." And like, that's such a cool thing. And it, it, you're being genuine because you took the effort to like, I want to remember this person. I want to remember what they care about in life. And like, what a cool way to make a connection. Absolutely, yeah. and you can do it in your day to day interactions, right? Like remembering people's names and you know i think nate like we remember like we've we've spoken so few times throughout the lives but every time we have a conversation it's so genuine and i think it's because we're both able to bring up things that we remembered about each other so yeah. like i think the last time i saw you we were playing basketball and i was like you're talking about your sister she just got into medical school yeah exactly. right and if i brought that up in this moment you're like holy shit like oh i'm sorry for uh, cursing <laughs> there. like dude this guy was actually listening to me and like he actually cares about the conversations we have yeah and so it becomes more personable, like in, in that in that moment. Absolutely. Right. Well, you you asked me about my, my research as well. Like I was like, dang, I didn't realize Jeffrey yeah. like had remembered all that. Yeah, I, was I was so impressed by that. Yeah, I was like, how's DSEG doing? Yeah, yeah. yeah I was like, yeah. dude, and you're like, what? Like I know, right? And so you can practice that in your day to day interactions, even with our colleagues. And I'm being genuine. It's like I actually care about this. Absolutely. Stuff, right. It's like oh, but it's like it's it's mind blowing how people just kind of will gravitate towards mm-hmm. you and mm-hmm. and opportunities come up right because all of a sudden it's like hey like you know we're looking for some more people on this team to like add to our med student team it's like oh like i know somebody that might be interested Mm -hmm. and and it's just people you want to be on your like want to have on your team totally totally no i I digress and you do that you do that so well i I digress so that's that's a really really cool thing yeah we'll, we'll finish it up okay um so one I guess two questions to finish. One, I, I just want to hear about a goal, something you really value in your life that you want to achieve. Um, yeah. Start with that. Yeah, I think the the goal is just build a family. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's nice to have these personal goals, but ultimately, what are you doing it for? And it's to leave uh, sort of a legacy for the trajectory of my family lineage that comes after me. And so I think my goal is just, at some point, hopefully find a partner that I want to build that life with and um, build, have some kids and 
provide the best life that we possibly could for them. So that's just a personal goal. Yeah. 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 No, but that, that's, it's, uh, it's funny. That's personal goal. And then you're like, you're like, oh man, I, it's someone, it's about someone else. It's about this future someone, which I think is so cool. Like I want, your goal is not actually you centered. It's actually providing this life for, for your future family. I mean, that's, that's amazing. I think we relation relationship goals i find are much more um sustainable because when we have career goals that career goes away at some point mm-hmm. and you're gonna fail a lot so if you rest your identity on that thing and it doesn't turn out the way you wanted it to let's say i want to be chair of surgery one day all of a sudden i'm not chair of surgery and one of my goals in life was was not to have like a great family or great relationships and just like really be there for them at all times I mean, like those relationships will be there. That's something you want to put time into. But then all of a sudden, what if, you know, maybe there's some, there's a better person out there for, for the chair of surgery. You know what I mean? Something like that. And you can be really crushed by that. So I think that's, that's so cool that you feel that way. And I don't know, I, I definitely, I, I resonate with that. Yeah. yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Um, last question is about legacy. So I guess looking forward when people talk about Jeffrey Rodriguez, what do you want them to talk about? What are things that you hope people take from you, learn from you? Um, you know, that I was somebody that they could come to at any time and that somebody that could provide them with comfort. I think um, oftentimes, like, we want to be remembered with these really big goals and really big achievements, but... I think what people often forget is in a lifetime you've you're probably gonna encounter hundreds of thousands of people and if you can just be a small positive light or in that person's life in that little slice of time that your lives overlap then your impact could potentially be much more than i was um president of this hospital yeah yeah. right or, or I was, I won this award for whatever this, nobody cares about that stuff at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Nobody really cares about that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's the impact you, you, you did in terms of how you made people feel, mm-hmm. right? Like Nate, like you, you'll, you'll never remember how, how well I did on a rotation if I'm, I'm your med student, but you'll always remember, uh, maybe you will, maybe if I was really bad, you probably <laughs> remember that, right? But Generally, you're like, okay, like they're a good med student, but what they really excelled at was like, man, like he was such an integral part of the team because like he just made people feel better. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't even know what to say personally that's really good about him, but like he just made the team better mm-hmm. all the time. And if I can just be remembered like that in whatever interactions and whatever um, scopes of practice that I end up being in, then I, I would have lived a happy, happy life. Yeah. 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 And that's a great, it's, it's a great answer. And also I think it's, it's almost expected because I see your life and there's had, there's been those people for you who you're like, dang, like that, that relationship was so important for like, be, for me becoming the person I am today. Like, and you talk about these mentors on each part of your life and they had this, you know, maybe small moments in time, but you said you're talking to that Nate, uh, Nate, right? Yeah. Nate? My buddy Nate. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, buddy, like yeah. you're still talking to those people. I think that's just evidence of like what a big impact people can have. What in moments that might seem small that end up being these huge, huge deals. You never know who might need that, that help at different times. So, yeah, 
It's, it's so true. Like, if you think about it, Nate, like if we were to meet one new person every day of our lives and we were to live to, for example, the age of 80, by the time we have lived to that age of 80 and we met one person every day of our lives, we probably would have met 30,000 people. Mm. If you made an impact on those 30,000 people, then guess what? What did that impact do in terms of positivity to the people that they've met? Mm -hmm. So realistically, the, the impact that you're making can go past you and just keep spreading. Yeah. And so let's say you met 10 people a day. Yeah. Well, guess what? It's that much. That yeah, just 10 keeps, times. Yeah. keeps compounding. Yeah. And so if you can just get out of yourself and get out of your own mind and just like look to life as like, hey, I'm, I'm trying to pursue a career of service and you can serve others service is something that is infinite mm. right the impact you make with service is infinite mm -hmm. right so totally agree yeah well jeffrey i expected this to be an awesome conversation it, it, it um it exceeded those expectations completely i so appreciate you having on i think some of just to summarize some of the the best maybe key parts of it i think overcoming early adversity and this perseverance that you've established throughout your life, I think your ability to apply some life experiences is is absolutely world-class. Um, learning skills through life and being able to apply them in all settings is something that like, I will take away from this conversation and I will continue to try to apply in my life because I think um, it's just incredible what you've done and um, really grateful to call you a friend, really grateful you came on this podcast and, um, I, if you have any any final final thoughts no uh, no i i well for one I, like i said again i'm honored that you chose to have me as one of the, your speakers here but um you know i, I continue to, to look forward to seeing the type of success you're gonna have you know there's this there's this thing i heard recently it's like 90 percent of podcasts don't make it to their third interview right <laughs> right and we're on three on number three so you've done what 90% of podcasts fail to do. And then of those, only 1% make it to 20. Wow. So I hope at bare minimum, you make it to 20. 20% is the goal. And then, 20, yeah. At 20. And then if you make it to 20 episodes, hopefully you come back on at some later point and you'd be like, hey, I got sponsors now. You know, I got figs in here. <laughs> I got athletic greens. Yeah. Oh <laughs> I'm just gosh. kidding. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's that's cool to hear because you know, yeah. obviously it's it's not it was never a goal of mine, but to like just see the impact. I mean, over two thousand people have interacted with this podcast already, which really? is like sweet. So, I appreciate those kind words and those are cool numbers to kind of think about yeah. moving forward. Yeah. So awesome! Well, appreciate you. Have a good rest of your day, and we'll uh, until next time. Likewise, man. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the human side of healing. I hope you found today's conversation as insightful and enjoyable as I did. It's an amazing experience to learn about the life of another member of our learning community and see the world through their eyes. If you've been inspired by our discussion and have your own story to share, or if you simply want to connect, please feel free to reach out. You can email me, send a text, or contact me on Twitter at Nate underscore Verhagen. Your stories are the heartbeat of this podcast, and I look forward to bringing you more inspiring journeys from our community. Until the next time, on the human side of healing, stay curious and stay connected.